The Girl Manual. Feminism, friendship, equality and other girl stuff. Breaking down the patriarchy one conversation at a time. A safe space to discuss all of those things that come with being a woman. From feminism to the workplace. Through female friendship and dating. To gender stereotypes and domestic violence. So grab some coffee, wine or kombucha. And join us in the creation of The, the Girl, Girl Manual. Hi Essie. Hi Fer. And welcome back to our listeners for a new talk, Dismantling the Patriarchy. So today we wanted to cover topics of career and all our experiences in the workplace. Because as we have talked about in our previous episodes, the feminists before us worked really hard in order for us to be able to go to work and go outside of our homes. Mm-hmm. And in many places, we're already able to follow our passions, earn an income, choose what we do and attain financial independence. But... Oh yeah, there's still a but. There's always the but. <laughs> we still find many unresolved issues in the female work experience. Yeah, and with this, we also want to say that we know that we're talking from a privileged perspective and not everyone has the chance to actually do what they want to do and to explore their passions and make a living out of it. So we have to recognize that. Yeah, so the first big step is done, but the work is not finished. We can always make things even more equal. Oh, yeah, because we still have a lot of things to discuss. Yeah. Um, we want to say that we were truly inspired by the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, in which she recounts like her experience and her career along with data uh, about many of the situations that we're going to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like a quick disclaimer, the book has been criticized by many people for not being intersectional enough in a way. Okay. By only giving this privileged perspective. Um, but what we think really is that it doesn't invalidate the points made and Really, do we ask all the male business gurus to be intersectional and to cover everything that there is to cover? And according to a study made by her nonprofit organization, Lean In, mm-hmm. they noticed that in entry-level jobs, there is a balance between men and women. But as you go higher and higher in the ladder, there are fewer and fewer women. Hmm. But we all knew that already, right? Oh, yeah. But then again... Why is there such a big difference between seemingly equal starting points? Who gets to choose who makes it to the top? Certainly there is much more opportunity nowadays, but we still are far from true meritocracy where Mm, we'd be only judged by our abilities. We're still so much guided by structures and bias. Yeah, and actually, like, can we ever attain true meritocracy if we don't have a level playing field? I think we have to take into consideration many things. And as we have heard in many, many times and female, in female political leaders, we are still being called female leaders instead of just leaders. Yeah. I, I was looking at this meme and it says that it, it's our fault as women that we don't have like equal paying jobs because we tend to go for lower paying jobs like female surgeon, female center, female CEO. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But it shouldn't define it. Definitely not. Mm. But sometimes I feel like it's still even a necessity to put the female there in a way that if there is a female president or female prime minister, it shows that us as women, we can do it. Definitely. But then... Then when it's used this way against us, undermining what we do, making it somehow less good as the one without the female in front, 
uh, that's when it goes wrong. Yeah. Well, however, back to the workplace. We still have to talk about all this additional challenges that women face. And it's not just like blatant discrimination. So it, it, it comes a lot. Um, there are like many axes that we really have to unravel to see what's the bottom of it. And I think it's interesting to remember that April is the awareness month for sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And sexual harassment is something that, unfortunately, is very common in the workplace. Yeah. And it, just because people tend to take uh, advantage of this position of power. Mm -hmm. So basically, sexual harassment is something, besides being horrendous, it's something that is actually hurting in the workplace too. Yeah. And uh, there was a study done by National Partnership in America which showed that women who say they've experienced sexual harassment at work are 6.5 times as likely to change jobs to women who have not experienced this. Well, no wonder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And often they are willing to change to a job that has lower quality or lower pay. And if you put mm. together the fact that one in three women say that they've experienced sexual harassment, this really plays an impact to the whole pay gap. Right. But that, that's the thing. Like, we shouldn't be in a place where we have to choose between our safety and, uh, you know, it's like being comfortable against our career. No, exactly. Oh, but in order for us to be able to change these outcomes, we have to become aware what are the biases that take place and we just have to challenge them. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. So for a quick overview of what we're going to be talking more in depth in the episode, we are going to be discussing three major issues for women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we will talk about the gender gap. What is it? How to interpret the numbers? And really take a deep dive into the factors that are causing it. Yes. Second, we're going to, to look into unpaid work. What is it? How does it the household division of labor affect women? What does it account for? And third, we're going to talk about stereotypes, gender bias, occupational segregation, and what can we do about it? So let's go into gender pay gap. Because when we're talking about it, we might be looking at different things. And it's really important that we are aware what's the actual definition of it. Oh, yeah. Because many times, even I can get lost and confused if I'm not really sharp, that what are we talking about? And because there is so much variety between different statistics, they're not simply um, comparable many times. Yeah, and actually I think that understanding these numbers might help us against people trying to discredit them. Yeah, definitely. So I want to use a bit of time so that we actually can understand and hopefully everyone walks out of this episode <laughs> knowing what is the pay gap. Okay, okay, let's go. So the first thing is unequal pay, mm -hmm. which is different to pay gap. So unequal pay is when individuals are paid less than others whilst doing the exact same job. Okay, but this is discrimination, right? It's blunt discrimination and it's illegal. There was an Equality Pay Act that was introduced in the States in 1963, in UK 1970, New Zealand 72 and in the EU treaties from 1957. Okay, so it's been here for a while. It's been here for a while, but still, we're not there. Still, there is unequal pay, even now. And and why why does it happen still? Like, I know there are many factors, but what, what is like a, a, a first factor that might affect it? Well, I think if someone tells you that don't undersell yourself, that's why it happens. <sighs> that's, that's not true. First of all, 
how are we supposed to know what to ask if there is no transparency of what people are getting paid? Mm. And the second criticism I've heard is that we don't ask enough. We don't ask uh, to get a promotion. We don't ask to get a raise. But they've proved this wrong over and over again. I mean, this just sounds like victim blaming for me a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if we look at data from last year, for every 100 men that got promoted and hired into a manager position, only 72 women were done the same. So it's basically a systematic thing. It's not really a case-on-case basis, right? Yeah. And I think many of it might be um, unconscious, but it's still there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what are we talking when we see non-adjusted or adjusted statistics? All right. So if we talk about unadjusted or uncontrolled statistics, Mm -hmm. that means that no compensable factors are taken into account when seeing the difference. Okay. So... For example, in the EU, they use the unadjusted gender pay gap. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between the average gross hourly earnings of men and women expressed as percentage of the average gross hourly earnings of men. And if it's adjusted, on the other hand, things such as educational level, years of work experience, age, occupation, industry, location, company, job title, all of these things are taken into consideration, which narrows it down into that whole thing of unequal pay. Okay, okay, okay. So basically the adjusted one takes into consideration the part-time jobs and like this sort of factors? Yes, and unadjusted doesn't. It answers to a different question. It shows us the overall power division in the society, if you want to say. Okay, okay. So this is basically just like the yearly income. Um. Well, then you have to look... It's not enough to look just if it's adjusted or unadjusted, but you also have to look if it's talking about hourly earnings or overall yearly earnings. And in this one, yeah, if it's hourly earnings, it takes the part-time job into account. If it's yearly earnings, it might not. Mm. Plus, before you start comparing to studies, pay attention if it's talking about average pay or median pay, because oh, okay. that's also different. And how, how is it different? Average pay, it might make it a bit distorted if there is a lot of people who are earning the same amount, but then there are few that are earning a lot less. So it distorts it. Okay, okay. So that's why sometimes the median pay can paint a better picture. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, because if not, then it just like, you get a huge middle income, but that's not really the truth of how society is divided. Exactly. And what I found interesting, because like you said, many times this whole pay gap, the existence of it gets contested. But there was a really good article in CNBC called Eight Economists on what people don't understand about the gender pay gap. And they said, at its most basic level, the pay gap matters because it's a reflection of power. Definitely. And Daniel S. Hammermesh said, In this and other rich economies, power in the household, power in the economy, comes from what you bring in and what your income is. There's discrimination in pay, be at the societal or individual level, whatever. But women are making less, and that inherently, given what we think is important, gives women less power. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see this also, as you said, like as a barometer of power within society. Exactly. And how does race plays a part in this? Because I, I'm guessing, I don't know, this is a wild guess, <laughs> that white male might be at the top. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in Europe, America, the pay gap stands close to each other in 15, 16 percent. Mm-hmm. But the Pew Research Center reported from last year that black people make 75 percent of what white people make. Hispanic people uh-huh. make about 70 percent of what white people make. So also, if we think intersectionally, the older you are, the bigger the gap. And the same applies the higher you go in the ladder. But people don't pay that much attention because it's more evident if you earn $10 an hour or $20 an hour. But what if you put it big scale? What if you earn $2 million a year or $3 million a year? It's a million yeah. difference, but yeah. it doesn't really... Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to say it's an intersectional issue, it's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> it just cuts through all the society. And that's why it's important. I know there is that whole debate about equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity that also tries to undermine the pay gap and its importance. And I'm not saying that there are not differences in skill sets or education abilities and mm-hmm. the hours that people put in. And I truly think that people should be rewarded by their input. But how I see it is that the rules of the game are not made fair for everyone. Definitely. It's not a fair playing field. Yeah. And as long as that's the case, we need to be studying this pay gap. As long as that exists, we still need to look at the unadjusted pay gap. Okay. So now we understand what the... Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's a fact that women's paychecks continue to lag behind men. Yep. Um, But there's not a straightforward reason for this, right? So there are a lot of factors. First, we can see that, one, our society undervalues women's work. Mm-hmm. And yes, we know that this sounds uh, very, very important, but it is true. Yeah. Second of all, um, that this gender bias also factors into occupational segregation. Like, women tend to be in lower paying jobs, and those jobs normally rely on what people might call traditionally feminine skill sets, like caregiving. Yeah which is a myth but okay um Mm -hmm. and the third part would be like the societal norms so the the fact that women do more household labor the wage gap um starts to become more prominent when there are kids um and, and basically a lot because as we have said in many many times even this small decisions really make a difference yeah Yeah. So we again say it starts from home. It starts from individual level. Oh, yeah. So what do we do? Well, there are a lot of things. Um, We will explore them a little bit further, but uh, there is something to do with policy, uh, fighting stereotypes and really, girls, I know this is horrible for all of us, but we have to talk about money. We do. It's so important. But starting with the first part. Why do we say that our society undervalues women's work, you might ask? Mm-hmm. Is it really true? Well, according to Claire Wasserman from Ladies Get Paid, that it's a platform that helps women advance in their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really value women's work because in, in a study made in 2009 in the US, where they analyzed 50 years of the census uh, data, mm-hmm. they realized that there were some fields that were male-dominated. And when women go in, the salaries tend to go down. And the same happens on the other side. So basically, an example for this would be computer science. Yeah. It started being a field where there were a lot of women because it was like a very delicate job and just like very attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And then after 
World War II and the advancement of Silicon Valley, whatever, men started to go into this field Mm -hmm. and the wages just skyrocketed. I had actually no idea that it was even female dominated in the beginning. Mm, Yeah. Really interesting. And I bet it's not the only field where this has happened. Definitely not. So if we look at the occupational segregation, a lot of the pay gap can be explained by this, approximately one third. So it's really important. And one of the issues is that, like you said, women are overrepresented in low-income jobs, such as nurses and teachers, and we're missing from the high-paying fields, such as STEM. So sciences, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then work-life balance, meaning that women do more part-time work than men due to various reasons, such as taking care of children, and of course, maternity leave, all of these affect negatively to women's earnings. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, just in the UK, according to British government figures, 40% of employed women work part-time compared Mm -hmm. to only 13% of men. And 40%, it's almost half. Yeah, so this makes uh, that when there is a two-income household, the lower income is going to be the women's. Yeah, so if someone has to take care of the kids and leave their work, it will be the woman. Exactly, exactly. And then they can't advance and it's just this whole domino effect. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. But what about CEOs and is there any statistics of these numbers? Uh, Actually, if we take a look into Fortune 500 companies, Mm -hmm. um, do you know how many women are, like how many women CEOs are? Okay, so let's think. If it's 500 companies, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be quite negative here. Maybe I'll say 50. No, 33. And I'm not talking percentages. 33 women in total. Oh, wow. Out of 500. Yeah, like 6%. Wow. And what about this? You know that globally, 82% of ministerial positions are held by men. Uh Uh-huh. And women have received only under 3% of Nobel Prizes in the fields of science. 3%? Yeah. There's a huge underrepresentation of women in certain areas, like STEM, as we were saying. All right. So what can you tell me about that whole STEM issue? It's a whole thing, because it starts very early on. So only 35 percent of STEM students in higher education are women. Like this is uh-huh. a global number. Okay. And th- this comes a lot uh, from the fact that girls are discouraged to pursue certain career paths. Um, yeah. Or or certain abilities. People used to think that girls were more inclined towards people and boys were more inclined toward things. So they tend to push boys into math and uh, physics and chemistry Mm -hmm. and things like that and girls into more like humanities and sociology and that sort of fields but i think it starts already from the toys that we give to our children exactly actually uh on the book delusions of gender by cordelia fine she argues that all of this is really nurture not nature yeah um so it's neurosexism the fact that we tend to mold the um, the brains in that way and because it starts so early on it's little by little exactly then we only see the results in our adulthood when have you seen there are so many of these um uh, blogs and uh, programs for women coders and trying to get women interested in these fields exactly but the thing is we really have to fight this from the base because it, it makes no sense to just try to involve more girls just like in the top part if it's something that starts very early on. Yeah, but I think it's uh, going to be a long process before we get to equality in these fields especially. Oh yeah, 
Definitely. But then if we look at overall graduate rates, didn't you know that globally more women graduate from higher education than men? Really? Yeah. So it's this weird thing again, that maybe when we enter the workforce, there is approximate equality or even more women, but somehow we just don't make it to the top. Oh yeah. And again, uh, in occupational bias, I was listening to an interview the other day and it was really interesting. Like even in the vocational part, like uh-huh. not not just like in university or something, girls are pushed toward being cosmetologists or dietitians uh-huh. or things like that. And guys are pushed towards being like electricians, plumbers, like even in, in a very uh, vocational level, right? Yeah. And guess which are paid better? Of course, it's the men men-dominated fields. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter at what level we're talking about. It doesn't matter if it's like higher education or vocational level. Still, the male-dominated fields are paid better. Yeah, which begs the question. I wonder, because I know that... Um, for example, if you go to a school to study economics, mm-hmm. it's really good education. But I know that even inside that, there is this thing that, well, of course, women go into marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about it, but I, I've heard so much say like, oh, yeah, but that's the what the women do inside the economic school. And that's somehow then undervalued. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we really have to fight these stereotypes and this gender bias that is very much real. Mm-hmm. And what many countries actually do, they celebrate something called Equal Pay Day. Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, same thing as with the pay gap. There are different rules in different places. So in some places, they count it as at what point in the year do women start working for free? Mm. Whereas others might count it until how far in the next year do women have to keep on working to catch up with what men earned just during the previous year? Yeah, but actually, for example, in the US, they have the second measurement. So they okay. like go into the like, the next year to see when women can catch up, basically, with men. Mm. So for white women, it would be in March. But for Hispanic women, it would be in November. What? Yep. In November? With yep. those same rules? Yep. Oh, wow. This podcast is brought right to your ears by Interactive Culture, an enterprise that, as us, believes in sharing the stories worth telling in a fresh and responsive way. To learn more about Interactive Culture and their work, visit interactiveculture.com. Yes, that's C-O-O-L-T-U-R-E, a cool take on culture. So, this is not the only explanation. The other explanation about this whole debacle of um, gender pay gap is the double shift that women still do and that end up adding to like the workload that we have to do. Yeah, so what is the double shift? What does that mean? Oh, basically this means it can be called double shift, meta work. We we can know about this from different names, but basically is also being in control of the household and having to handle everything within the household. So we're not only doing paid work, but also unpaid work. And and, and this is really interesting because the gender roles have changed a lot in society. So women now have a completely different role that we did like, what say, the 50s. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that within our own houses, the roles have not changed that much. Yeah we still 
expect the same things. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why women are pushed towards part-time job because it's just too much to do a full-time job in the house and then a full-time job outside. So we need to spread it out a bit more evenly. Oh, yeah. Okay, so just to illustrate this part, uh, I would like to present you with a quote from a wonderful Mm -hmm. novel that it's called Three Women from Lisa Tadeo. And this is not the last time we're going to quote this novel in this podcast because it's amazing and we truly recommend it. (laughs) So basically the quote goes like this. The fantasy is that he did stuff she didn't even know she needed, like cleaning his amber drops from the rim of the toilet, getting the kids clothes ready for the following morning, putting the scissors back where the scissors go, that he did the bunch of things before the thought of them even entered Sloane's head. So basically this just illustrates a bit um, how women are also project managing the house. Yeah, then this takes so much time and energy just to think of things like, oh, the laundry needs to be done tomorrow. Okay, what do I need to buy from the grocery stores? What meals are we going to prepare? Oh, the toilet paper is finished. Two more showers and then I have to buy more shampoo. Yeah. Things like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's why we're so good at multitasking. Oh, (laughs) yeah, it's a blessing and a curse, my friend. It's a blessing and a curse. But, you know, this is not only about our advancement, like, in our careers, but it's also Mm -hmm. about happiness. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) According to a 2007 Pew Research poll, Sharing household chores was in the top three highest ranking issues associated with a successful marriage. Third only to faithfulness and good sex. And even if this has been a while ago, I'm sure it's still true today. Oh, definitely. At least for me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess we can now factor in some digital stuff, but I mean... Come on. Absolutely, I think it's still like right there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so basically, this means that women perform twice the number of tasks and assume the burden of the mental labor or the invisible work. This is also additional to the emotional labor that we all undertake. Yeah, what we spoke in the last episode. Exactly. Oof. So not that much rest for mothers or the women in the household. Not at all. And if you look at the time spent in these activities... Mm-hmm. Women on average spend 30% of their time doing this compared to 23% for men. Mm. And women prepared 91% of weekday and 81% of weekend dinners, even though fathers were present 80% of weekdays and 88% of weekend dinners. Interesting. This is like the problem that I have when I hear people say, oh no, he helps me with the kids or he helps me cook. Like he's not helping, he lives there. He's a parent too. They're his kids. He's not babysitting. Yeah, and I think that's why we well, have to give credit for a lot of men who do do that. I know a friend whose um, boyfriend is the head of keeping the house clean. Hmm. And I know a friend where the a boyfriend or husband does most of the cooking. But that still, on average, it doesn't happen. And... We need to talk about this. As long as we keep helping the other person, we mm. keep the role of project management and the final responsibility on the shoulders of the other person. Definitely. Okay, and we know that we are getting our noses way deeper than <laughs> we should. 
these are personal decisions, but it is like these small personal choices that are really shaping society. And it's not just us and our careers, it's just society in general. Yeah, and it does have consequences. Of course, it's our choice. If you, if you love cooking and cleaning and doing all the housework by yourself, by all means, do it. But just be aware that it has reflections on the other areas of your life. Then you might be more dependent on your couple for your earnings or on the society so that you get along. Exactly. And like the household division should be equally divided. Yes, definitely. So what about that whole thing about unpaid work? Oh, well, unpaid work goes really much in line with this part of the double shift. And there was a, a report issued by Oxfam that's called Unpaid and Underpaid Care Work in, and the Global Inequality Crisis. And basically what the report said was that wealth and poverty are gendered. With this gendered part, they mean that while billionaires, most of them are men and they are at the top of like the pyramid, whose wealth and power grows over time, regardless on whether the value they add to society matches or not um, mm -hmm. their wealth. It's important to take into consideration that at the bottom of the economy, there are millions of women and girls working long hours in unpaid or underpaid essential work, basically taking care of others. Yeah. And this is really harsh because many of, of the people in extreme poverty are women like most of them uh, just for example in Mexico only 3.5% of women yeah. earns more than 5 minimum salaries this would be around 400 euros per month mm -hmm. so only 3.5% earn more than that oh wait so 3.5% of women in Mexico earn more than that in a month yes oh wow uh -huh. but How do you even live with less? Well, that's the thing. It, it's it's pretty much a gender thing. And also, it's important to, to take into consideration here the, the maternity penalty. I mm -hmm. know it's something that affects also in, in the workplace. And it, it, it's not only related to unpaid work, but there are three times as many single mothers that single dads. Yeah. And there's still this expectation that women are the ones who have to take care of the children. So basically, this unpaid care work is not taken into consideration and also taken for granted. Yeah. And just imagine, what if all of this unpaid work was actually paid? Yeah. How much would that make? Like, it, I think it would make a huge difference into the society and to the lives of these people. Well, actually, if you want a number to that, uh, uh -huh. <laughs> according to the research that was actually created in partnership with the Institute for Women's Policy Research, uh -huh. uh, they calculated that the hours spent on unpaid care work is about $10.8 trillion a year. That's a lot of zeros. Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's like one third of a country's GDP. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. How? <laughs> well, we need to change this. Right, exactly. But actually, it makes sense because globally, women spend around 4.5 hours of their day on unpaid work, while men mm -hmm. spend about half of the time. But if you think that the full working day is eight hours, so they spend more than a full, uh, more than half of a full working day. Exactly. Doing unpaid work. Double shift, my friend, double shift. Yeah. And it, it this doesn't mean that, like, of course there are countries that are a little bit more advanced in, in equality matters and um, 
and the equality perspective. But even in places like Norway, women still spend an hour more than men. This is not, of course, it's not comparable with places like India, where in, where women spend almost six hours of unpaid labor and men spend less than an hour. Wow. These are crazy, these numbers. Yeah. And what they say in the report is that this, this might be an underestimation because normally we tend to, as we said before, to multitask. So we can be cooking and taking care of the kids at the same time. And that's not counted as a different um a different thing. But then how could we how could we help these women and these people in the households to somehow ease up their workload? Well, this is a question that has been that has been bouncing around a lot. And there are two things. One would be making it easier for certain things like having uh, heating at home, having access to water, like Mm -hmm. this is for developing countries. And then this would help a lot. But also for for developed countries, it's interesting to think about family friendly policies like paid parental leave. Yeah. Because actually, for example, in Mexico, we all, we only have 12 weeks of paid maternity leave, but we don't have parental leave. But uh, having mandatory parental leave would really, really, really change the situation of the maternity penalty. How is it in Finland? Well, this is so interesting because many times the issue has been that it's so much more expensive for an employer to hire a woman and they are a risk because of childbearing possibilities. But in Finland, the government just introduced a proposition where the parental leave would be divided between both parents. Oh, cool. Where it would be 6.6 months. Nice. (laughs) Or like per person. So overall, more than a year. And you can only uh, change, give the other person a small part of it. So that way men will take, doesn't have to be a heterosexual relationship, but both parents would equally share the care duties. Yeah. Oh, that's a great policy, actually. Like, mm-hmm. It really so, levels the playing field in a way. Yeah. So let's see what happens. They're saying it won't come until 21, but the direction is right. That's oh, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. That's the way to go. Okay. So we have talked about the gender pay gap, the occupational segregation, the household division of labor, unpaid work, all that. But what if we go a little bit deeper into the cultural part? Yeah, what about the stereotypes that you mentioned? Oh yeah. So stereotypes and gender bias are a really pervasive thing and they're present within ourselves whether we are conscious of them or not. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that we all have it women and men it's that whole patriarchal system that keeps this oh yeah and and it's very interesting for example there was a study made in 2003 by francis flynn and cameron anderson where they did this study that they called haiti versus howard so basically they gave uh, the students like the focus group two case studies one of heidi and one of howard and they had the exact same career path they were identical. The only thing that changed was the name. Mm-hmm. I can already see where this is heading. <laughs> yeah. They they asked people to rate them and just like, give their general opinion. And while everyone rated uh, Heidi and Howard equally competent, uh-huh. they said that Howard appeared more appealing while Heidi was more difficult. Wow. What's good is that they at least realized that they're both equally competent. Yeah. 
But come on, what is this other thing? Yeah, but that's the thing. Like women still face a penalty for being successful and competent. And this has a lot to do with the type of behaviors that we associate with women and with men. Yeah. So basically, just as a little disclaimer, they repeat this um, th- this exercise in 2011. And they said that people who actually had female managers did not give them a lower rating. So we prefer male managers in theory, while in practice, the gender bias doesn't really play that way. I think it's just that prejudice and fear of unknown. And once you have the experience that, okay, you have a woman manager, you realize they're Mm. not that bad. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, to be quite frank, I think success and likability are very much related for women still. Mm-hmm. Um, because for men, likability and success are positively correlated, while for women is the other way around. Yeah. Um, so basically, the more successful and the more driven that a woman is, the more uncomfortable it makes us as a society, because we tend to feel that women are caregivers, sensitive, communal. And I, I think it's just so harsh. And what is crazy is that we still think that you can't be a leader and have those qualities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it comes along with what we think a woman should be or what a man should be. And it, it really relates with what we were talking last episode about the tyranny of the nice and kind. Because mm-hmm. women are expected to be nice even in in a workplace environment. Yep. Uh, but then again, it's like a double bind because... You are expected to be nice, on, but not too nice because then you're not competent enough. And yeah, I don't know. It's just such a hard place to be. And for example, uh, they did this experiment about women being able to recognize their own achievements. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, in, in the book, Sheryl Sandberg was talking about how, they, how Jocelyn Goldfine, like the head of a division was asking the the engineers and the coders to talk about a project they were working on and just like give updates and just do a little bit of self-promotion. Uh-huh. And these were these were women uh, yeah. engineers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This was a, a group of women and no one wanted to go first. And mm. then she basically changed um, that that strategy. So she said, "Okay, don't tell me about your projects. Tell me about a project that one of your coworkers is doing that you really want to recognize." Yeah. And people just started talking. Mm, somehow it's so much easier. Yeah, exactly. And I think this debunks a little bit what we were saying the other day about women being mean. Because I think that we have led to believe that there is like a sort of pie and we have to fight each other and compete to get a piece of that pie. But really, um, reality, the only way to defeat this is to support each other. I think. Yeah, and I think it leads to that whole thing about inwards empathy and how we tend to have more outwards empathy. And I remember going for a job and I didn't have to tell about it to my friends, but I knew that they also wanted it. So instead of just taking the opportunity myself, I would tell everybody about it and I would help them. And then I didn't really have time to do my own application because I was too busy helping (laughs) others get the same job that I really wanted. Oh yeah. But actually, this is actually a There's a term for this, Mm -hmm. and it's called the gender discount problem. Okay. So basically, Professor Flynn, the one that did the Heidi and Howard experiment, Uh he identified this problem in which he says that women are paying a professional penalty for 
their presumed desire to be communal. So basically, women are expected to be right there to do any favors. Women are not under the same expectations. Mm -hmm. You as a woman are expected to be always available and up for any favor. Mm -hmm. And then it relates a lot with the inner and outward empathy. For example, I was talking with my friends the other day and one of the boyfriends of, of a friend He was working a lot during the crisis and he and his team, I don't know, like a bank or something, um, but they were working a lot, like 24-7. Mm -hmm. They were right there answering, like covering the crisis. Mm -hmm. Everything was going well. But then he was telling my friend like, hey, I think I'm going to ask for a raise because me and my team have been right there mm -hmm. on the front line, like really working a lot. And I think we deserve it. And as my friend was telling this, like all of the friends that were in the call, all women, mm -hmm. we were like, oh no, oh my God, but like the crisis, we have to, th you have to think about the enterprise and how can you ask for a raise? It's not the better, like it's not the best time to ask for a raise. But then at some point, just like stopping right in my tracks, I was like, but why not? What is there to lose? Yeah. Exactly. One, the worst case scenario, they say no, mm -hmm. but actually he asked for something that he needed or he thought he deserved. Yeah. And as women, we have this tendency to be more empathetic towards the other than towards ourselves, yeah. if that makes sense. So we bottle things up. And I think maybe that's why when they say that when women go ask for a raise, we've bottled it up for so long that then mm. it comes out as aggressive. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it makes sense. But it really shook the way I was thinking because... Of course, my first thought was, oh, no, 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 but it's like a crisis uh -huh. and it's a mess of a crisis. Blah, blah. But then again, if you deserve it or just want the recognition because you feel like you have been working a lot, mm -hmm. why shouldn't you speak up? Yeah, which makes me think what happens now to all the nurses and all of those people doing this essential job who really need more than a clap once a day. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, as we were saying, I think all this crisis would lead into a revalorization of the care work. Mm -hmm. Hope so. Yeah. But also the thing is, um, just to, to finish this, I think that the likability factor is very important for women. So even when we think that we should go and ask for that race and just like mm -hmm. speak our voice and make it, be heard at the same time we're risking not being liked yeah and while it shouldn't be the most important thing it certainly plays a role i mean we can see what happened with elizabeth warren exactly the more she demonstrated that she was capable and that she really was up for the challenge mm -hmm. the more people said that she sounded condescending or that even though they agreed with her they didn't like her no it's the same thing as that study that you told exactly and that's the thing like Why are we supposed to always be, as we said, like the nice and sugar and spice? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I think it's what they say that there is still strong women are considered as a threat. Oh, yeah. Okay, so after all this reflection and a whole lot of numbers, um, let's wrap it up. Mm -hmm. So basically, women have been behind men in the paycheck forever. Yeah. And... 
just to end up with another data, um, according to the World Economic Forum, it would take 257 years to eliminate the global gender pay gap. But hey, I don't have time to wait for that. Oh, no, no, no. But it's a hard thing because actually it requires to change a collective mindset about the woman's place in the world. Yeah. It requires governments to protect workplace equality through legislation. And it requires companies to take steps into changing their policies. Definitely. It won't change without these institutional changes as well, even if it's in our heads in the biases, but it's also in the structures. Exactly, exactly. And actually, it's not just about women. Like, it should be, but it's not only about women. Mm -hmm. Because according to a study made uh, in 2017, paying women equally would cut poverty rate for women in half. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what what do we need to do, Asi? Well, we need to put women on top to achieve true equality. We need to clear ourselves from stereotypes and biases that cloud our beliefs and keep the status quo. And last but not least, we have to change the gender roles, not only outside our homes, but also inside. Okay, so we still have a long way to go. Hopefully not 257 years, but a long way to go. Yeah. We'll keep working at it. And so, Fer, how has been your experience working for women or with women? Well, actually, it's very interesting because in the the many jobs that I've had, most of my bosses have been women. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly sure if it's because of the field, but I have worked in different fields, including science, and actually all of them have been women. Mm-hmm. And I... I I think there have been like wonderful role models. They are brilliant women, but many times I've heard people rate them as difficult and just wow. yeah, and complicated and things like that. People would ask me like, hey, how are you handling? And I was just thrilled to be able to learn so much about these wonderful women I'm, I'm, yeah, and to be able to call them my mentors uh, that I, I never really fall into this um into these games but i think that when there are brilliant and powerful women in high places people are scared i would say yeah i do think so and it shows that the stereotypes are still there yeah yeah definitely have you encountered these stereotypes at work what i have spoken with my friends is that many of them have felt that they would have to for example, dress themselves in a certain way, whether in a really masculine way or then mm. super femininely in order to be taken seriously, in order to have a floor to speak up their mind and to be respected. Oh, yeah. Let us know your experiences. We'd love to hear if you've encountered any of these problems. How have you felt when you've asked for a race, for example? Let us know in, at the Girl Manual pod. Yeah, uh, tell us all about your experiences in the workplace. Um, I have an announcement to make. It's fair here. But first of all, I want to thank you all for your support, for listening to us every episode and for helping us build the Girl Manual. I have to announce that I'm not going to be part of the project anymore. So I want to say goodbye. These chapters were made for you with all the passion and care in the world and I hope they were as enriching for all of you as they were for me. It has been an honor to be part of the team that created this wonderful project. I wish it all the best. It was really my pleasure to talk to you every week about relevant, interesting and okay, okay, sometimes a bit awkward conversations 
um, surrounding girlhood and what is being a woman. Um, so keep dismantling the patriarchy one chapter at a time and we'll meet again very soon in other exciting projects. Bye!